Movements that change the world really do not come through one individual. They come through a group of people. It takes a group of people to change another group of people. It takes a group of people to change the world. This year, we will celebrate in October the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which all Protestant denominations come from. This was a group of people. Even though Luther played a major role in this, a group of people decided the Bible is our authority and that the local church is the authority. The Renaissance, the American Revolution, the Industrial Revolution, the fall of communism, the information age that we're in right now that started maybe around 1980. And these are all movements that we're part of. They're movements that are bigger than one individual or a few individuals. It's all of us who created these paradigm shifts and are benefiting from these shifts. One of the paradigm shifts that happened, one of the changes that occurred that we often don't give enough recognition to happened on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And today, you and I, we are in the middle of this transformational experience. The story that started on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2 that we just read is an unfolding story that we're a part of right now. God did an amazing work. Pentecost is a Jewish festival that happens 50 days after Passover. The first Pentecost after Jesus was resurrected was a significant, a significant experience that we read about just a moment ago. A lot of stuff was happening there. But there's two really big things, big narratives that happen. And it's why every church all over the world is celebrating this. Different denominations, different places. We're all celebrating this important day. Because, yes, it was the day the Holy Spirit was given. Jesus said he wasn't going to leave us alone. He was going to uh, go to heaven and he wouldn't lead us, leave us as orphans. He was going to send the teacher, the counselor. And so... God's people, the disciples, anticipated this. And then the birth of the church happened. Since that day, the church has been representing Jesus to the earth. The church has been representing who Jesus is and his message for all the world. So we have a lot to talk about today. Now, whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, there's this pressure to get everything discussed in one sermon and so it just makes for long sermons or makes the pastor talk too fast or it's just not enough time to cover everything and truly we really talk about the Holy Spirit every week because the scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit I mean he really is part of every single Sunday he's part of every single worship service and so in some ways we're always talking about the Holy Spirit but on this day uh, we, we go back to Acts chapter 2, and, and I, I want to show you some patterns here. I'm not going to show you all the patterns, again, for the sake of time. What I don't want to do is a lot of churches, they, they, they go through the book of Acts, and they just kind of skip over Acts chapter 2. They go from like Acts 1.8 to Acts 2.42, and they skip a whole important part because of their perceived complications. 
And then they kind of skip around other parts of Acts too. Acts also. And so I want to try to just expose you. And my goal today is to open your heart to the Holy Spirit. That's really all I feel like the Lord wants to do today is to turn our hearts for those of us who need a refreshing, maybe we just need to give more attention to the Holy Spirit again. This will turn our hearts that way. And then for others of us who have had little exposure to teaching on the Holy Spirit, in fact, we may have come from good churches and good pastors who just kind of ignored or explained away the Holy Spirit. I hope today just opens your heart up to Him because He wants to do a great work. And I want you to know this. The Holy Spirit is available to fill you. He wants to fill you with the good things of God. That's why today's teaching is called being filled with the Holy Spirit. And what that happens for believers. And the first pattern that I want you to see, and go back to my introductory point about how great movements happen in groups of people. I see that same pattern happening in the Scripture which is the most important part, and also from experience. Here's the first point. To be filled with the Holy Spirit often, not always, but often, here's a characteristic. It happens in groups of people. It happens around groups of people. And we see that in the scripture we just read in Acts chapter 2. Remember verse 1 said this. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Part of what happened is there was an anticipation. Jesus had prepared them to receive the Holy Spirit. I have seen also there's a pattern of of teaching that needs to occur for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come in. And we found best that that teaching often involves dialogue. It's not necessarily like a Sunday morning service. We're going to teach on the filling of the Holy Spirit and that's all you're going to get. it's, It's better when there is dialogue. And I'm considering ways that I can teach more on the Holy Spirit, maybe in an atmosphere different than a Sunday morning. Now, on Alpha, when we had our Alpha retreat, we took some time to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we found that to be a really great context also. But the Holy Spirit seems to move biblically in groups of people. Now, there's five, there's five occasions where we see the giving of the Holy Spirit. We've already talked about Acts chapter 2. But the other four occasions, we don't have time to read them, but I have these references in your notes. And what I want you to do is, over the next few days, to go to your Bible and to read for yourself. And here are the passages, Acts chapter 8. This is when the Holy Spirit was given to the Samaritans, which is really important because the Jews thought the Samaritans were unqualified for God to move. Acts chapter 9, you'll see that Saul, who we know as Paul, encountered the Holy Spirit there. In Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit was poured out to a wider Gentile crowd through Cornelius' home. And then in Acts chapter 19, the Holy Spirit was given to the followers of John the Baptist who had not even heard about the Holy Spirit. Now, I just challenge you to go read those passages and study them for yourself because the Bible wants to speak to you. Scripture wants to speak to you. And and I want you to be exposed and to know about these these passages. Now, there's a lot of patterns that happen. There's no... A lot of times we want principles. We want, like, do point one, point two, point three, and this will happen. Uh, 
the scripture usually isn't that way. Important things as the Trinity, which we'll celebrate next week, they're, they're inferred in scripture. They're obvious in scripture, but they're not listed very clearly. So you look at these patterns and, and by the leadership of the spirit and by the whole context of scripture, you get to see through these stories ways that God moves. And in this instant, we see that God, in all of those scriptures that I've listed, God moves in groups of people. Even Saul in Acts chapter 9 was with a group of people and Ananias came and ministered to him. And I see that groups of people are the context from which we experience the Holy Spirit. Now, you say, how does this apply to my life? So far, this feels like a really boring kind of classroom type teaching or sermon today. Here's one of the ways it applies to our life. If you want the Holy Spirit, and, I, and I, I think all of us should desire more of the Holy Spirit. And I'll say more of the Holy Spirit because we all, every believer has the Holy Spirit. But if you want more of the Holy Spirit, you have to be around people who also want more of the Holy Spirit. A, a testimony of many people is they've been part of churches that have explained away the Holy Spirit, skipped over passages of the Holy Spirit, incorrectly taught that the activity of the Holy Spirit ended with the last apostle, which there's not biblical evidence for that at all. That, that was just, that's just been a convenient, it sounds like an important reason, but it's not, there's no biblical verification of that. Um, Holy Spirit agnostics, that's what I call them. They're like, oh yeah, we kind of believe in the Holy Spirit, but that's not for us. There are plenty of groups of people like that. And, and if we align ourselves with people who don't want the Holy Spirit, then guess what? We probably won't get the Holy Spirit's power either. Right? That, that's logic, right? But if we realize that, that we want to be part of, of people who want the fullness of the Spirit, our probability of receiving the fullness of the Spirit increases so much. And I think that among those brothers and sisters who have rejected the active work of the Spirit in this age, we'll see them in heaven. And thank God that some of them are more loyal, are so loyal to the cross and the resurrection, and, and that's okay. But Jesus has given us this gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us today. And it's transformational. The reason I want to share with you about the power of the Holy Spirit is because I know how much it's changed my life. And it's changed the life of my friends. And I've seen people who, who couldn't overcome sin. And people who didn't have a passion for the Scripture. And people who were just going to church out of obligation. And people who just felt like, you know, that organized religion was just this Ponzi scheme and they didn't really care about the local church, that when they were filled with the Spirit, it changed everything. It gave passion for Jesus, passion for the church. It gave fruit of the Holy Spirit, more love for their spouse, more love for their friends, more love for their co-workers. This is what happens when the power of the Holy Spirit comes. It's transformational. It changes us. It changes who we are. Because on our own, we have limited ability to produce what God wants us to produce. But the Holy Spirit's power comes and transforms us and makes us 
more like Jesus, more like him and who he is. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to invite my friend B.J. Christopher. B.J. Christopher is a wonderful woman of God who attended this church before I even became pastor. She's now, she's now a widow, and her late husband was a great friend of mine also. But for a long time, B.J.'s been wanting to share with you about a book she wrote. Come on up and join me. And more importantly, about what the Holy Spirit's done for her. And we, we've waited for the right time and have had a couple of, of uh, missed opportunities, but today's the day, right? And so she's going to share with you a little bit about what God's done in her life. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Uh, I am excited to just share this with you all this morning. It's so good to be here for the late service because I always come to early service. And I see so many good friends. So what I want to talk about this morning is about uh, really my testimony. Pastor Aaron talks about a group of people, and that's what exactly brought about a change with me. But before that time, I was raised in a church where the Holy Spirit was referred to as the Holy Ghost. Now, some of you my age will probably remember that, but Father and Son and Holy Ghost. Well, I didn't know what in the world the Holy Ghost was, and so I just kind of put that on the back burner. I knew the Father, it's understandable, and the Son. But I loved the church, and I grew up all of my teenage years singing in the youth choir, MYF on Sunday night. I wouldn't miss it. Anything, going on into my uh, adult years, I still worked in the church with every, every available place that was open. I loved the church. But something was missing. Something was missing. I just didn't know what it was. And so one day, my sister Peggy, who is in my book, um, said to me, she said, you know what? A group of us are meeting in the basement of the church on Tuesday night, and something's happening. You ought to come. So I asked Jerry, I had three small children. I said, Jerry, would you keep the children and let me go to church on Tuesday night? So I did. It's very interesting. I could feel something. And at that church meeting, someone gave me a book, Don Basham's book, Face Up with a Miracle. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. But in there, he talked about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I kept reading that, reading. I thought, Lord, is that what I'm missing? I just need to know. So I took my Bible and some special scriptures, and I went down to a place in the woods where I like to go and talk to Jesus. And I just laid it out there. I said, Lord, if, if this is it, if this is what I'm missing, I want you to just lay it on me. I want to be filled with your Spirit. And he did, just as simply as that. And I really came out of the woods that day on fire for him. Well, even Valerie said, Daddy, what's been gotten into Mama? She's running through the house. I was so excited. But it was too soon to do anything, really. Um, three small children. I wanted to go on a mission for Jesus. And it just wasn't possible at that time. I really wanted to go to Africa. That's what I'd ever heard so much about and read so much about. But I had to put all that on the back burner and went back to teaching when Angie started school. Most of you know Angie in here, I think. She used to be on the singing the music uh, up here on the stage. So anyway, she started school, the others, and I went back to teaching and 
22 years later, I retired. All during that time, I knew I was going to write a book. I had so many things to tell, and I would write things down, and I remember things. And so when I retired, I wrote the book, but it hadn't been quite finished when... Um, I used to these things. Okay, can you hear me? Um, anyway, Jerry came home. We came home from church one Sunday, and we'd heard a sermon, a real good sermon on, on missions. And Jerry said, you know, you've always wanted to go on a mission. Why don't you call my brother Bob? He works for international commissions and see where their next mission's going to be. Maybe you'd like to go. That had to be God. Coming straight from Jerry out of the clear blue, I called Bob. I said, what's the next mission? And he said, Ivory Coast, Africa. Africa. I said, that's me. Thank you. I did all the preparations and whatever I had to do and had to raise about $3,000. So the church there and where we were attending then really sent me on that mission. But what a fantastic experience that was. And I came home just ready to go again. So I went, continued on I did finish my book. That's the last chapter, so I could finish my book and sell it to audiences and raise the money to go so I wouldn't have to just be asking for donations. So the thing about the church I'd been raised in, in a small town, a small church, the pastor was changed every four years just about. And as hard as I worked with them, I knew them all personally, so they were stationed in other churches in Middle Tennessee. And so I could go and speak to their churches and raise the money, sell my book, and go on different missions. The last two missions I went on, and, that, and goodness, they financed me from Argentina to Budapest, everywhere in between. But the last two I went on were to Kenya. And this church sent me. Really, uh, it was before, I think it was before we actually had pulled the two churches together, but the word got out, and you all financed me, and it was, it was a fantastic experience. In those two missions, each uh, number was 12,000 people saved. That's over 25,000 people in two missions. There were 52 of us working one year and 54 on the team the, the other year. But that's how hungry, hungry Africa is to know Jesus. So I, anyway, now I'm at the point in my life, I can't make these missions anymore, and I still have about 150 books left, but not that many since this morning, early service. But I am giving them to you all to use as part of your mission if you want to. Um, they're out there on the tables. Uh, they're not doing any good in storage somewhere. So please, when you leave today, take as many books as you like and give them to people. Uh, um, the homeless on the street with a little money in it, or if you visit the nursing homes, there are people on, Shannon says, on Sundays, no one's, they're not doing any activities. She's my daughter who's a PT at NHC. So there are a lot of people that don't have any visitors on Sunday and nothing to do. They love you. They love the book. Now, you have to be sure they can still read. 
And so, anyway, that and friends, relatives, birthday presents, whatever you want to do with them, please take them so you can spread the word and help me spread the word about Jesus. I thank you so much for this time, you all, and I'll just turn this back over to Pastor Aaron. All right. Can you guys give her a hand clap of appreciation? There is an example of someone who was a Christian who was going to heaven, but by her own confession says, when I discovered and opened my heart to more of the Holy Spirit, it changed so much in me. Let's think about this. If we're filled with the Spirit and God's Holy Spirit is within us, how can we not be transformed? Right? He changes. One of the area, areas He changes us is in our speech. And that's my second point today. The Holy Spirit, number two, often changes our language. Sometimes it's in different ways. In the scripture we read today, we, we see the miracle of speaking in tongues. For many people, when they receive the Holy Spirit, they, they speak in tongues. For others, it may be prophecy. For others, it may be a bold declaration about Jesus. These are all patterns in the Bible. To others, it could be a bold witness for Jesus as Peter confronted people who didn't believe in Jesus and said, this man you crucified is God and Lord. The same Peter who denied Jesus used confrontation to declare who Jesus was. Other times there's a freshness in our praise and we praise the Lord with new passion. And, and sometimes we're declaring who God is and it's just not some of the same phrases that we learn, which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we use liturgy here because using same phrases forms our hearts, but then sometimes something comes from our spirit and it's the activity of the Holy Spirit within us. And the book of Ephesians talks about being filled with the Spirit and it first of all tells us don't be drunk, don't do that. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions. But here's the contrast. Be filled by the Spirit. And this is what happens. This is Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Speak, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord. And I have seen that in my life. I've seen that in the life of people I've worked with, that when we are filled with the Spirit... And that's not just a one-time activity. You know, in BJ's story, in many of your story, there is maybe that initial time that just kind of opens your heart. But being filled with the Spirit is not a second experience. It's a fifth and a hundredth and a twelve-hundredth experience. We, want, we need to be filled with the Spirit as much as we allow God to do that, as much as we open our hearts. And it begins to change how we talk. I mean, I can tell... When my language is getting sloppy and inappropriate and isn't honoring Jesus, I need to go pray. And guys, I need to go pray quite a bit. I have to do that quite a bit. But when I'm, I'm prayed and filled with the Spirit, it changes the way I talk. It changes the way, it changes the way I preach. I mean, sometimes some of you are like, Aaron, we like the end of your sermon when you're kind of going off-road and, and kind of just 
just talking with more boldness. And a lot of times, guys, listen, uh, you know, I write these sermons out. I plan them in advance. I pray through what I'm going to say. A lot of times I'm talking and I'm saying stuff and I'm thinking, wow, that was good because that didn't come from my head. That came from my spirit. It's the Holy Spirit speaking through me. That's the power of the Spirit. He does what we can't do in the natural, what we can't do in our own strength, in our own power. The Holy Spirit fills us. And he changes us. Why does God transform us by the filling of the Holy Spirit? It's because he loves people. And the power of the Holy Spirit is for the world. The cleaners I typically go to, right here in Hendersonville, is owned by what appears to be a family of people who I've discovered are Korean. They're actually, uh, one particular lady I've discovered is North Korean. She has the sweetest demeanor, and she's so kind to me. Her English is broken, and so um, it's her kindness that has spoken more than sophisticated English phrases. And one Thursday or Friday, as we're getting closer to the weekend, I'm picking up my stuff, and I ask her about what her and her husband are going to do that weekend, and she lets me know that she's a pastor of a Korean church, her and her husband are, right here in our area. And I told her, well, I'm a pastor, too. Ever since that time, she calls me pastor every time she sees me, which is a little odd at the cleaners, but it's nice of her anyway. And we've developed a good rapport since then. And a couple of times when she's been a little, I say, how's the church going? And they're a little discouraged. Attendance is down. Our participation is low. It was a hard holiday weekend. And, and I don't pray for her there, but as I get into my vehicle, uh, I pray for, for, for them and her and for her husband. Why did I tell you that? It's pretty amazing to say, to, to think right here in Middle Tennessee, we have a church led by people from North Korea. We have churches in our area. The people of God are meeting all down Nolansville Road, Congolesan, Kurdish. People from all over the world are meeting. Why? Because of what God did on the day of Pentecost. This new sect of the Jewish religion, following this rabbi named Jesus. Jesus, Jesus was very careful about who he shared his message with as he was mentoring and developing his disciples. But he, he, he began to anticipate what we're living in today and begin to tell his disciples, listen, I've got lost sheep, not just of the Jewish faith. I've got lost sheep all over the world. And, and this message is going to go forth. And, and as he was getting ready to leave, he said, listen, I'm leaving, but I want you to go. Go to all nations. Go to all people groups and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus gave an impossible task to people who were not global-minded like we are today. In a time when traveling wasn't trendy or fun or, or, or an experience people necessarily wanted to do or were equipped to do, Jesus gave an impossible task, something that was unfathomable, something that you couldn't even imagine. And he said, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're, you're not going to be given this assignment that's impossible to do because I'm going to go and I'm going to send the comforter. 
I'm going to send the teacher. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He began to prepare his disciples. And his disciples began to anticipate that. And his disciples began to pray and to seek the Lord. And I will say this, is that you can't, you know, give a 30-minute sermon about being filled with the Spirit and that's it. Um, Being filled with the Spirit takes some anticipation. It takes some spiritual preparation. It takes some desire. It takes prayer. Jesus prepared and taught his disciples. Then they waited, and then the Holy Spirit came. And when the Holy Spirit came, here's my last point, my third point. We discover that the filling of the Holy Spirit is given for all people. The giving of the Holy Spirit includes more people in the kingdom of God. We find from the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, that Jesus is not just for one family, not just for one tribe, not just for one geographical area, that Jesus came on the day of Pentecost, and when the power of God hit people, then different languages were recognized, not just unknown languages, but languages for all the world to know that the gospel was not just for the few. The gospel was for everyone, and we're seeing that happen today. You know, it is a bit discouraging here in America if you really study the stats. A lot of people aren't, a lot of religious leaders aren't willing to look at the stats today, but we've had a rough 25-year run here in America. And even though churches are getting bigger and better, every credible statistician will let you know that church participation is down dramatically. After 50 years of being stable, we've gone down dramatically in the last 20 years. That can be a little bit discouraging. That's why we need revival. That's why we need renewal. But that's not the whole story. Because in South Korea today, we see that as a result of the last 150 years of mission work, that South Korea is majority Christian. That most of South Korea today is Christian and the gospel is being advanced. We see in communist China, where there's been the repression of the church, that in the house church movement, We believe there are more Christians in China than there are in America today. We see that in the Middle East, the gospel is growing. Iran, which is maybe rightfully declared an enemy of the state, we have Christian brothers and sisters there in house churches. And the Iranian Christian church is growing and expanding, and more people are coming to know Jesus. We see what's happening in Australia, how Australia and New Zealand has been a place of innovation as they've developed music and teaching that has affected the church in the United States of America, and God's moving in new ways there. We see in South America, where there's a move of the Holy Spirit in almost every nation, that the Pope, who, who himself has had experiences with the Holy Spirit and affirms the power of the Holy Spirit, has taken notice of what God's done in South America. Globally, God is doing great things. 120 years ago, 150 years ago for sure, there were hardly any known Christians in Africa. Now over half of the continent of Africa is Christian today and growing and expanding because churches in the United Kingdom and the United States sent missionaries and the power of the Holy Spirit to go. This is a day of great exploits. We are seeing the unfolding of Acts chapter 2 continue, continue, continue all over the globe today. So my question is, is it happening in you? Are you hungry for the Holy Spirit? Are you hungry for the move of God? 
A great thinker, Will Dursky, said the other day, I heard him on a podcast, talked about, we are in the middle of the collapse of Western Christianity. Then he said something that really caught my attention. He said, it's a comfortable collapse. It's a comfortable collapse because we have wealth. You might say, Aaron, you haven't seen my checking account or my debt load. I don't have wealth. We have wealth when we have options. Today after church, you'll be able to decide, do you want to go eat at home? Do you want to go out to eat? Where are we going to go on vacation this year? Are we going to buy our clothes at Target or the Rivergate Mall? We have options because we have access to resources. And thank God for those. But I'm just saying this, that the Bible does say that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Because when we have options, sometimes God's not the first option. And we have choices, God's not the first choice. And it takes intellectual discipline. And it takes spiritual patterns. And it takes uh, developing spiritual habits in your life and being faithful to the things of God, to live for God with the fire of God in a culture that has rejected God. But I say that God's not done with the United States of America. God's not done with our country. God's not done with our state. God's not done with our city. But the change starts in you. The change starts with your passion. The change starts with your devotional life. The change starts with your church participation. And the change starts with your willingness to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's all I got today, guys. Let me, let me share one scripture. This, I, I have so much hope in the scripture. Revelation 7, 9 says this. This is what's going to happen at the throne of God. This is the future. After this, I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number. That means you get tired of counting, right? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and look what's happening. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. This is a specific God with a real personality. This is not some vague God that is like a template that could apply to every culture and every religious expression. This is a specific God with a real personality, with a real sacrificial um, gift on the cross and a real resurrection and he is real and he is moving to touch the nations and change the world and we have a chance in our lifetime to see his power and his word go forth in a way we have never imagined in the way the world has never seen but it's not by might not by power not by strategy not by uh, having a superstar lead us it's by the spirit of the lord it's by the Holy Spirit's power. I want you to stand. This is the reason. This is the reason why Satan, Satan wants you to, to resist the Holy Spirit. Satan wants you to question the Holy Spirit. Satan wants you to marginalize the Holy Spirit. The enemy wants you to explain the Holy Spirit away. The, listen, listen to me. The enemy wants you to misinterpret the Scripture so the Holy Spirit is no longer part of your life. God forbid that we do anything here outside of the Scripture. God forbid it. But let us also not misuse the Scripture for our own convenience. Misuse our Scripture for our own lack of faith. Misuse the Scripture for our own lack of courage to receive all that God wants us to have. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray for you today. Father... I knew that there was too much to cover in one sermon. But Lord, I pray that you would teach me how to teach people 
And really, you're the teacher, Holy Spirit, anyway. I pray that in the coming days, as we do our Alpha retreats, as we have other times to emphasize the Holy Spirit, and when we teach on the Holy Spirit, that you would just help us just not to mimic an experience. We don't want to be like people in Australia or people in California or people in Arkansas. We want to be like Jesus. We want to be the people you call us to be. We want to receive the greatness of your name. We want to receive the power of your spirit to change lives. God, I thank you for those visiting with us today. And God, I pray that if if you've called them to another church, Lord, that they would take passion for Jesus and passion for the Holy Spirit to that church. And God, if you've called them to this church, I pray, Lord, that they would obey and that they would walk with us and that we would grow together. And Lord, we pray that. And I pray for my life, for my family, for this congregation. We pray that in your own timing, teacher, counselor, in your own wisdom that we would receive the fullness of your spirit. We would receive the fullness, more of your Holy Spirit, less of us and more of your spirit. Less fear and more courage, God. Lord, less weakness and more power. Lord, less of, of this type of explaining away the gospel and more bold declaration of transformational truth, God. Lord, we pray that over us and in us and through us. And we love you and we bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name.